We will start the Dhamma talk with the Namatasa. Namatasa Bhagavata Ahahata Sama Sambodasa Namatasa Bhagavata Ahahata Sama Sambodasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Tonight I'm going to continue to talk about karma. Two days ago I started to talk about karma. And as we have seen, the Pali word kama literally means action, simply action. But in the Buddhist uh, teaching, kama does not mean just any action. It has a more specific meaning. So in the Buddha's teaching, what he referred to as kama or action was actually only the intentional actions or volitional actions actions done with a volition or intention and technically speaking it is this mental factor called jetana which denotes karma and it's this mental factor called Chetana which is responsible for action so it's this mental factor Chetana which is concerned with the actualization of a goal and it is this mental factor volition which is the most significant uh, factor in generating karma and it's this jetana that determines the ethical quality of an action. Basically, karma can be unwholesome or wholesome. These are the two groups. And as we have seen, unwholesome karma arises if an intentional action of body, speech or mind is done with either greed, hatred or delusion. That means that if one of these three unwholesome roots is present, greed, hatred, delusion, then this action becomes an unwholesome action, akusala. And for the wholesome actions, it means when the wholesome roots of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion are present, then it becomes uh, a wholesome action. And these wholesome roots of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion actually mean generosity, renunciation, then loving-kindness, compassion, 
and understanding and wisdom. We have also come to see that wholesomeness and unwholesomeness has a much wider scope than immoral and moral. So immoral actions are all unwholesome. Everybody would accept that killing, stealing or telling a lie is an immoral action and that it is an unwholesome action. But even actions which are generally not considered to be immoral, they still can be unwholesome. Like for example, if one is angrily banging a door. Banging a door is not an immoral action, but when it is done based on anger, and if it's intentionally done, then the, this action becomes an unwholesome action. So all volitional action constitutes karma, except for a Buddha or an Arahant. A Buddha or an Arahant does no longer accumulate karma because they have eradicated craving and ignorance, which are the roots of karma. So even though Buddhas and Arahants do no longer accumulate uh, new karma, but they still uh, experience the results of previous karma. They can experience these results of previous karma as long as their life persists, or that, that means um, until they pass away. A famous example for this is Venerable Angulimala. Even as an Arahant, he had to put up with physical assaults by the people in town when he was going for arms. So this is how it came all about. Angulimala actually means garlands of fingers. And Angulimala, he was the son of a Brahmin who was a chaplain to King Pasenadi of Kosala. And the parents gave him the name Ahimsaka, which actually means the harmless one. Later he went to the famous university of Takasila to study. And he was very bright, very intelligent, so he became uh, the favorite student of, this, of his teacher. But his fellow students were jealous of him. And so the fellow students told the teacher that Ahimsaka had committed adultery with the teacher's wife. And so the teacher, believing them, he wanted to ruin uh, Ahimsaka and therefore when he had finished his studies he asked him 
as a present uh, to bring him 1,000 fingers of human beings. And so then Ahimsa Khan went to the Jalini forest and whenever travelers passed through that forest he attacked them, killed them and cut off a finger. And then he uh, was wearing these fingers around his neck as a garland. That's how he got his name Angulimala, garland of fingers. When he had collected 999 fingers, he determined that whoever was coming through the Jalini forest, he would go and kill that person. So, at that time, Ahimsaka's mother was actually on the way to that forest. And at that time also, the Buddha surveyed the world, seeing whom he could benefit. And it appeared in the Buddha's mind what disastrous act was going to happen, or Angulimala killing his mother. And he also noticed or realized that Angulimala had actually the potential to become an Arahant, to become fully enlightened. And so the Buddha, with his supernormal powers, went to that Chalini forest and was walking calmly, peacefully on that path. And Angulimala, he saw this monk walking there, and even though it was a monk, because he had determined to kill the next person coming along, he was going after this monk. And it was strange, although Angulimala was running very, very fast, he could not catch up with the Buddha, this monk, who was walking calmly, peacefully. And he ran and ran and ran and couldn't get closer. So then at one time he shouted, Stop, recluse, stop, stop. The Buddha stood still, turned around and said, I have stopped Angulimala. You too better stop. Angulimala did not expect such an answer and in his curiosity he asked this monk what it meant. And so then the Buddha said, Angulimala, I have stopped forever. I abstain from violence towards living beings. But you have no restraint towards living beings. That is why I have stopped and you have not. Hearing these words, Angulimala regained his senses and immediately he asked the Buddha to ordain him as a monk. And out of compassion, the Buddha did so. But then very quickly the news spread that this murderer uh, had become a monk under the Buddha. And so when uh, he went for arms uh, into town, the people reacted with hostility. Some people threw stones at him, others hit him with sticks. And as a result of these attacks, blood was running down from his cut head 
his arms bow was broken and his robes were torn. So badly hurt, Angulimala, Venerable Angulimala, returned to the monastery. And the Buddha saw him coming in the distance. And when he came nearer, the Buddha said, Bear it, Angulimala, bear it. You are experiencing here and now the result of deeds because of which you might have been tortured in hell for many years, for many thousands of years. So for Angulimala, the results of his evil deeds, killing 999 people in that life, so these results were uh, manifesting in that present life. Were he not an arahant, the unwholesome consequences of killing so many human beings would have led him to a rebirth in the hell realm, as the Buddha had pointed out. And it is also said that uh, the Buddha uh, was experiencing the results of his previous unwholesome deeds uh, as headaches. Apparently sometimes the Buddha got a headache. And he saw that that result was from a deed many, many, many lifetimes ago. At that time he was the son of a fisherman and as his father uh, was killing the fishes by beating them on uh, their heads. The Buddha, as the fisherman's son, actually delighted in his father's action, delighted in the fact that these fish were being killed in that way. And as a result of that, uh, he got headaches as a Buddha. As I also mentioned in my last talk, the complete understanding of karma and its results is one of the four unthinkables. Like if you would try to figure it out intellectually, uh, your head would explode. So this is an unthinkable except for a Buddha. Although it's not possible to penetrate into the most intricate details of the teachings of karma for an average intelligent person, this doesn't mean that we should not pay attention to karma at all. As karma is the basis for the whole cycle that we are revolving in, it is important that we ground our actions on a general understanding of karma. First of all, we should acknowledge that it matters how and what actions we perform. And secondly, that we acknowledge that each volitional action will inevitably yield its corresponding result. Like if you plant an apple seed, then you will get an apple tree and not a banana tree or a mango tree. 
So with this understanding, we come to see that we are responsible for ourselves as well as for others. We realize that our actions bring forth results that affect ourselves and the world at large. So each volitional action creates a potential to produce results. If others are affected or not and in which way this we don't know. But it is for certain that we ourselves will experience the results of this action in one form or another. Within the stream of consciousness of a being, nothing gets lost. But karma is not uh, a solid uh, thing in the mind that is stored in this stream of consciousness. Rather, it's a potential and that can produce results under the right circumstances. It's like fire or a flame that is not stored in the match. But under the right conditions, condition of friction, then the match is able to produce fire or a flame. So the profound understanding of karma can, ta uh, can take another dimension in those whose minds have been greatly purified from the defilements. By deeply understanding the working of karma and seeing the effects that it can produce, these highly realized persons show their compassion even uh, in regard to their torturers. So in this connection, let me tell you the story of a great Chinese master called Su Yun. This master, Su Yun, was the patriarch of all the five lineages of Buddhism in China. He was very highly respected. When the, when the Red Chinese took over, they were trying to wipe out religion altogether. And so this master Su Yun became an obvious target. So the Chinese army attacked his monastery when he was about 110 years old. They beat him with um, wooden clubs until he was a bloody heap on the ground and left him for dead. But Master Su Yun had, was not dead. Although he had many broken bones and damaged organs, he recovered from the attack. The news of his recovery spread uh, around in the area. And so a while later the Red Army came again and this time they used iron bars to beat Master Su Yun. This old, frail man was really smashed up and seriously injured, but still 
he did not die. So then his disciples were nursing him and help him heal his deep and serious wounds. All of them were amazed that he was still alive. Needless to say, this master had incredible meditative powers and so his disciples were convinced that he was sustaining his life, his life energy for them. They thought that the master uh, realized that they would uh, feel a lot of grief if he died and so uh, keeping himself alive for them. But thinking that this was not right, they told him, please do not just stay alive for our sake. We are very touched that you would endure these weeks and weeks of pain and misery just because of not wanting to leave us grief-stricken. But if it is time for you to go, then we would prefer that you would leave yourself peacefully go and without enduring all this agony. And so Master Suyin said, what I am doing is actually not for you. It's true, I'm keeping myself alive, but it's not for your sake, it is for the soldiers. If I died as a result of their beatings, the comic retribution for those who attacked me would be so great, I could not bear to be responsible for that. After that, apparently, the Red Army uh, left him alone. He survived, he recovered, and he even taught other retreats. Finally, at the age of 120 years, he passed away. Apparently, um, when he was young, he had made a vow to live as a monk for 100 years. And as one can only become a monk at the age of 20, it means that he had to live up to 120 years to be a monk for 100 years. So what we can learn from the contemplation of the teaching of Kama and its results is the importance to take responsibility for ourselves. We, are, we ourselves are responsible for our happiness and misery. We ourselves are the creators of hell and heaven. Sayado Utitila was a Burmese monk who died 10 years ago at the age of 102 years. And Sayado Utitila put it this way, he said, Man is the master of his own destiny, a child of the past and the parent of his future. person with a greatly purified mind that is also endowed with 
wisdom, kindness and compassion does not only consider the effects of actions for oneself but is constantly on the watch to not create misery and suffering to other living beings and this comes as a natural result of the deepening practice. Not long after the Buddha started teaching uh, then he had 60 Arahant disciples and at that time the Buddha told them to go forth and spread the Dhamma these were his words wander forth O because for the welfare of the multitude for the happiness of the multitude out of compassion for the world for the good welfare and happiness of devas and humans at the earlier stages of the practice this natural concern for the welfare and happiness of other living beings is not yet manifesting so spontaneously as later on in the practice because the mind is still under the influence of the defilements such as craving or aversion, conceit, pride so then the priority of human beings is to seek their own happiness and welfare this is just a natural tendency of the untrained egoistic mind and it takes some time and perseverance to overcome this conditioned uh, need to mainly care for oneself or uh, to those uh, dear uh, to one however the Buddha was always concerned with the happiness of the many not only for his own happiness and that's why he gave this uh, advice to his uh, disciples, to his arahants so we too should try to open up um, and have a wider vision of what constitutes happiness and well-being including other beings in this as well in a discourse the Buddha gave very extensive and detailed advice to his son Rahula in regard to which kind, kinds of actions should or should not be carried out the Buddha told his son Rahula to reflect very well on the suitability of any action be it a physical action, a verbal action or a mental action so here is what the Buddha said to his son Rahula first of all he asked him a question what is the purpose of a mirror? and Rahula answered for the purpose of reflection and so then the Buddha said so too Rahula 
An action with the body should be done after repeated reflection. An action by speech should be done after repeated reflection. An action by mind should be done after repeated reflection. Rahula, when you wish to do an action with the body, you should reflect upon this action in this way. Would this action that I wish to do with the body lead to my own affliction or to the affliction of others or to the affliction of both? Is it an unwholesome bodily action with painful consequences, with painful results? When you reflect, if you know this action that I wish to do with the body would lead to my own affliction or to the affliction of others or to the affliction of both it's an unwholesome bodily action with painful consequences with painful results then you definitely should not do such an action with the body but then when you reflect if you know this action that I wish to do with the body would not lead to my own affliction not to the affliction of others nor to the affliction of both it's a wholesome bodily action with pleasant consequences, with pleasant results, then you may do such an action with the body. So this is quite extensive, this reflection. And the Buddha then went further to explain his son Rahula that to reflect upon the quality of an action should not only done before that action of body, speech or mind but it should be done again while carrying out the action and it even should be done after having performed the action if we would carefully reflect on the suitability of each and every action of body speech and mind with this before, while and after the action then we would definitely accumulate less unwholesome karma I believe so this, mean, this means that we would refrain from quite a number of actions that we usually carry out when not reflecting on the quality or suitability of this action. If we could see the consequences of our unwholesome actions right on the spot as black tar that is sticking on our body, then we would refrain from many of our deeds. In Switzerland, the fairy tale of Frau Holle or Mrs. Holle is well known it's about two sisters who were quite different in their character one was good hearted kind and always doing uh, her work joyfully the other sister was lazy, ill tempered and full of envy one day it happened that the good-hearted sister fell into the well. 
she never got to the bottom of the well, but all of a sudden then she finds herself in a completely different world. So there she walked along the path and whoever she met, she greeted uh, this person friendly. She asked if people needed help and if they needed help she joyfully uh, did whatever uh, the people asked her to do. And so then uh, one day she came to quite a big house and a woman came out and uh, greeted her and asked her to come and do some work for her. And so the good-hearted sister was very happy that, it, that she could go and help uh, somebody. And so this woman, Frau Holle, or Mrs. Holle, uh, got her a very special uh, kind of work to do. Every morning she had to shake the duvet and she had to shake them quite vigorously so that the down feathers were uh, falling out because when shaking the duvet and the down feathers were falling out that meant that in the human world it was snowing and so for us in Switzerland in winter when it is snowing so then as children we believed that either Mrs. Holly or her helper was doing a very good job. So in winter with a lot of snow then Mrs. Holly and her helper uh, really worked hard. If it was a winter with only little snow then Mrs. Holly she had a very lazy uh, helper. And so the good-hearted sister did her work every day uh, joyfully. She did a very good job. And then, after some time, Mrs. Holly said that she had worked enough and that she could leave. And she said that she would reward her. So she took the good-hearted sister by the hand, led her in front of the house, and pointed to a gate, saying, that she should walk through the gate and at that time she would get the reward for her work and also that uh, on the other side of the gate then she would find herself back home. And so the good-hearted sister walked through the gate and as she was walking through it uh, a golden dress fell down upon her body and so on the other side, as Mrs. Holly had said, she found herself back home again. And her sister, the lazy one, saw her coming with this beautiful golden dress. And of course, she was very envious. She also wanted to have such a nice golden dress. And so she immediately asked how she got this dress. And the good-hearted sister told her everything how it had happened and so with that the lazy sister also jumped into the well and as her sister had told her then she found herself in this different world she walked along the path people uh, coming she didn't greet them she just walked past them 
if people asked her to help them to do that or this work, she said, no, I don't have time or even didn't uh, give an answer. She just walked along this path and then she came to this big house that the sister had described her and there a woman came out, approached her and asked her to help her with some work. And the lazy sister uh, accepted because she knew that was Mrs. Holloway and uh, as a reward she would get this beautiful golden dress. And so again Mrs. Holloway explained her that she had to shake the duvet every morning vigorously. But the lazy sister did her work not well, uh, just shaking the duvet a uh, very short time and then uh, sitting outside under a tree for the rest of the day. So that winter was a very bad winter in Switzerland. <laughs> and after some time Mrs. Holligan told the lazy sister that she had worked enough that she would get the reward and then the lazy sister got interested Mrs. Holly took her in front of the house and indicated the gate that she should walk through saying that there she would get a reward and uh, on the other side of the gate she would find herself back home. And so the lazy sister uh, in great expectation walked towards the gate and as she was under the gate not a golden dress fell upon her body but a black dress made of tar. She was uh, greatly uh, distressed to see that and immediately she wanted to take off this black tar dress but it firmly stuck to her body. In regard to karma and its results. A question that arises again and again is about the inequalities uh, in the world. Why are some people wealthy whereas other people live in great poverty? Why are some people constantly afflicted with sicknesses or pain whereas other people are quite healthy and strong. In my teens I also struggled with uh, these questions, struggling to find some uh, satisfying answers. And so the yearning to get some satis satisfying answers to these provoking questions, this led me on a spiritual path. In one of his discourses, the Buddha gave very straightforward answers to the question why people experience such a wide range of conditions or why people's lives are so greatly different. So in this discourse, a student called Suba approached the Buddha and asked him about the causes and conditions for human beings to be inferior or superior. 
Suba wanted to know why some people were seen to be short-lived or long-lived, why people were seen to be sickly or healthy, stupid or wise, poor or wealthy, ugly or beautiful. Actually, Suba was the son of a Brahmin who was a very stingy person. And somehow the Buddha was able to point out to Suba that the dog in his house was actually uh, his father who had passed away some time ago. Of course, Suba didn't want to believe that, but then the Buddha told this dog to dig up some treasures that Suba's father had buried before his death. And so the dog went and unearthed these treasures. And with that, Suba came to realize that this must be true. And so confidence in the Buddha arose. And that's why then he approached him um, with these questions. Uh, about the workings of karma. And so then the Buddha answered him, Suba, you know, beings are the owners of their actions, heirs of their actions. They originate from their actions, are bound to their actions, have their actions as their refuge. It is action that distinguishes beings as inferior and superior. Suba did not understand the meaning of these words and so he requested the Buddha to give him a more detailed uh, explanation of what he said. And so then the Buddha said, If one kills living beings, then if a person engages in such actions, then that person, after death, reappears in a state of deprivation, in an unhappy destination, even in hell. But if that person uh, reappears in the human realm, then that person is short-lived. So, killing living beings leads to short, a short life. One of my friends in Switzerland, uh, one day, all of a sudden, he simply fell down and died. He was only 22 years old. At that time, he was not afflicted with any kind of sickness. He was healthy and strong in the prime of his youth, but for whatever reason, one day he simply died. So at that time, you know, for his family, even for myself, it was kind of incomprehensible. How can this young person simply die? Then the Buddha uh, went to say that if one abandons uh, killing living beings, then a person after death reappears in a happy destination, 
even in the heavenly world. But if the human, if the person reappears in the human realm, then that person is long-lived. So that means abandoning from uh, killing living beings leads to long life. Then the Buddha said, if one inflicts injuries to other living beings, if one beats them, if one tortures them, then the person after death would reappear in an unhappy destination. If that person reappears in the human realm, then that person uh, is sickly or experiences physical pain. So inflicting injuries, torturing um, other beings that leads to sickliness or to experiencing uh, physical pain. That's like the example that I mentioned in my last talk. This yogi in Switzerland who uh, is experiencing rheumatic pain since the age of 25. Not inflicting injuries to other beings, not torturing other beings, that according to the Buddha after death leads to uh, rebirth in a good destination. Or if the person reappears in the human realm, then this person enjoys good health. So not inflicting injuries, not torturing other beings leads to good health. If a person is of an angry temperament, very uh, ill-tempered, irritable, then as according to the Buddha, uh, after death that person reappears in an unhappy destination. If that person reappears as a human being, then this person is ugly. So anger and irritability leads to ugliness. If one is not angry, not um, irritable, then after death that leads to a rebirth in a good destination. Or if one is reborn as a human being, then that results as beauty. So not being angry and irritable leads to beauty. And so all the misworlds or misuniverses are they must have been not angry in the previous birth. <laughs> then the Buddha went further saying that those people who are not practicing generosity, not giving freely uh, things to others, then because of that people reappear in an unhappy destination or if they uh, are reborn as a human being 
then that results in poverty. So being um, envious and jealous and not practicing generosity leads to poverty. If one engages in practicing generosity, then after death one will be reborn in a good, happy destination. Or if reborn as a human being, then that person is wealthy. So practicing generosity leads to wealth. Living in Burma, I have seen that many wealthy persons in Burma uh, are actually very generous. They are practicing generosity to a great extent. And they are well aware that in this present life, the wealth that they are enjoying is the result of previous generosity. And so to ensure that the wealth is not declining and hopefully in previous lives uh, again that they are wealthy, so they engage in practicing generosity. And the Buddha also mentioned that if one is not visiting the wise and learned persons, asking them questions about what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, what is blameable, what is not blameable, which actions should be carried out, which actions should not be carried out. So if one is not uh, trying to increase one's understanding and wisdom, that leads after death to a rebirth in the unhappy destinations. Or if a person is reborn as a human being, then that leads to stupidity or uh, dull-wittedness. So not increasing one's understanding uh, or knowledge or wisdom leads to stupidity, dull-witted mind. However, if one goes and visits the wise and learned persons and asks questions about what should be cultivated, what should be abandoned, what is good, what is beneficial and so on. So then, after death, uh, one reappears in a happy destination or if one is reborn as a human being, then this person is wise and learned. So asking questions and increasing one's knowledge leads to wisdom and understanding. So the Buddha gave these very uh, detailed uh, explanations to Suba, who wanted to know why people are superior or inferior. And then the Buddha summed it up saying this um, thus student the way that leads to short life makes people short-lived so the way that leads to short life means if you 
take the life of another being, if you shorten the life of another living being, then uh, that makes you short-lived. And the Buddha went on to say, the way that leads to long life leads to uh, makes people long-lived. So if you don't kill other beings, if you leave them their lives so that they can uh, live long, that makes you yourself long-lived. And in regard to the other points, the way that leads to sickliness makes people sickly. The way that leads to health makes people healthy. The way that leads to ugliness makes people ugly. The way that leads to beauty makes people beautiful. The way that leads to poverty makes people poor. The way that leads to wealth makes people wealthy. The way that leads to stupidity makes people stupid. The way that leads to wisdom makes people wise. Not long ago, maybe only one and a half months ago, I got an email from a Sri Lankan meditator who had come to our meditation center in Burma earlier this year. And this was already her third time that she came for an extended period of meditation to Burma. And in that email she wrote, Yesterday I went for the funeral of a seven-day-old baby of my mother's cousin. It was an unusual thing to be present at the funeral of such a small girl. She was born premature as the doctors felt there was something wrong with her growth and was placed in an incubator. Later they found out that there was some brain damage, two holes in the heart and that some organs had not developed. She survived the birth with great difficulty. The doctor said that if she lived, it would only be for six months, but seven days after her birth, she died. Two days after her birth, the family had consulted an astrologer to read her horoscope. And he had said that she had been a specialist doctor in her previous life and that she had been unethical. She had removed organs and cut up, and cut up people for financial rewards. He said the parents too had benefited from her profits. He had also predicted she would not survive long. This strangely coincided with what the doctor said. She had deformed organs and in some, some instances underdeveloped organs. But to look at her, one would not have thought this possible as she looked perfectly formed from the outside and extremely pretty. The monk who came to perform the last rites also spoke of the many instances of negative karma and the lives of children he had seen being affected by their own negative karma.
I can't imagine how people can still be unaware of the ills of their actions. Last year, a vet working at the university was caught stealing organs from street dogs that he claimed to have taken in for adaptation, for adoption. One dog died and the others were barely alive with the lack of kidneys and other vital organs. That little girl must have done something similar. So this is what this uh, Sri Lankan meditator um, told me. Kama and its effects is a natural law that manifests independently of our likes and dislikes. It manifests independently of our preferences and expectations. Whenever the conditions are right and make a ripening of a defect possible, we cannot prevent that effect from arising. But it makes a world of a difference of how we react to the ripening of some previous karma. If we react to it in our habitual way with aversion to an unpleasant experience or by clinging uh, to a pleasant experience, then we perpetuate the cycle by adding more unwholesome karma. If, however, our action is based on understanding and wisdom and consideration, then our reaction or uh, reaction to that ripening of karma can be wholesome and beneficial. Although Buddhism teaches that karma is the chief cause of the inequalities in the world, it doesn't teach that everything is due to past actions. The law of cause and effect on the moral plane, karma and its effects, is only one of the 24 causes described in the Abhidhamma, or karma and its effects is only one of the five universal orders. They are laws, orders in, being in themselves uh, and operate in the universe. And so to make this point clear, the Buddha said to Sivaka, who was a very famous doctor at the time of the Buddha, Listen, Sivaka, some kinds of feeling arise with bile as condition, some with changes in the weather as condition, some with inconstant behavior as condition, some with danger from an external source as condition, some with karma results as condition. Any person, any ascetic who is of the view that all feeling is entirely caused by previous karma, I say this person is mistaken. 
so clearly saying that it's not everything happening due to previous karma. There are other uh, causes around that make us uh, feel in a certain way. So when we bring the mind in alignment with the law of karma and its effect, then we will be ensured a greater degree of happiness and joy not only in this life but also in the future. If we do not interfere with the law of karma and its effects, then it will not disturb our mind. Karma is a teaching of moral and spiritual responsibility for oneself and others. Our way of reacting to a certain experience may be still influenced by the defilements, by greed, hatred and delusion, but each moment of mindfulness can bring some light into our confused mind and direct it towards wholesomeness, to non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. The clearer the mind and the deeper the understanding of the natural laws, the swifter will be the progress to final liberation. So may all of you be able to, to reflect well on your actions of body, speech and mind. May you be able to cultivate that which is wholesome and to abandon that which is unwholesome. May you swiftly become fully liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.